This episode of Heavy Cardboard is brought to you from the great folks over at Gamesurplus.com, bringing the world of board games to you. Now, on to the show. Heavy Cardboard Episode 86, Dominant Species. Coming to you from the Pleistocene Epoch, welcome to Heavy Cardboard, where we talk medium and heavy strategy board games, war games, 18xx, and other related topics in the board gaming hobby. We're your hosts, I'm Edward. And I'm Amanda. Hey, finally, finally. Feeling better. Yay. Finally. Now everybody else in the house is sick but me. But it's a different kind of sickness, so I don't get blamed for this. No, no, not at all. That's the flu. Yeah, that's... What what seems to be going around in the house. So I'm staying far away from the sick folk in the house because I figure with my immune system right now, it's either really, really strong or very, very vulnerable. I'm not sure. (laughs) So my cough is still lingering, but I'm truly appreciating being healthy again, like it's so weird to me that how you take that for granted. Like, yeah, I feel fine. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, you. but no. Spend a few weeks sick in a row, yep. and then all of a sudden, I I don't feel like Davis is sitting on my chest, <laughs> and I don't get winded by just getting up and going to get a glass of water right. or something. It's, it's amazing how much I'm now, at least for right now, appreciating mm-hmm. feeling mostly healthy good so (sighs) very glad to hear that me too on that note thanks to everybody for their support and especially honestly y'all's patience during my bout with i don't know whatever respiratory illness that was uh really helped not feeling the pressure of having to put out the show for those couple Mm -hmm. weeks it really did and amanda thank you for stepping up last week and doing the ask the elephant so I, i had some more time to rest so definitely appreciated it and i think uh Things are going to be more beneficial having done that because now that I'm essentially over it, we can get back to work right now. Right. And speaking of my Ask Elephant, thanks everybody for your support because it literally was kind of an off-the-cuff suggestion. And I mean, me being naive, I suppose, I really didn't think anybody would come or want to hear about it, about me. Why? Why would you think that? I don't know. Just, I was like, really? People want, okay, well, sure. Oh, I mean, you compartmentalize. I mean, here we are recording, and it's just you and I sitting yes, here talking. And exactly. You, you consciously make an effort to not think that, hey, there are actually folks out there that might actually listen. Yes. Which, you know, right? No, it's you and me, and then maybe Bev, Rob. So basically, a, a, a bunch of patrons, and that's Matthew, it. Is that all you? Jared. R- really? I try to not think about it. No. But I think it's odd that you can convince yourself of that to a point to where it's you're not, like, why would anybody yeah. even want to come? I don't know. Just, well, that's a shame. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you were well, pleasantly surprised. And that's what I was about to say. In one way, it's good because I was like, really? What? You know, so that's good. Well, hopefully for next time, because there is going to be a next time, right? <laughs> yes. 
Absolutely. I just don't, I don't know when, but yeah. Okay, good. So hopefully next time you're like, all right, let's, let's do this y'all. Right. Okay, good. Glad to hear. It's finally feeling like fall here. I had to wear a coat during my walk with Astra this morning and I was still freezing. It was so nice. Yeah, it's September in Denver, Colorado is far and away the best. Well, yes, it's the best month here in Colorado, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I know there are people listening that are big, avid snowboarders and skiers, and they would much prefer something like, you know, January. (laughs) Uh, But weather-wise, it's just so... It's just, just glorious. lovely outside. In the evenings, I mean, we've had the windows open mm-hmm. all day. There's been a nice breeze mm-hmm. through the house. It's just been super, super pleasant. You yeah. can wear jeans, be comfortable. Yep. You can wear shorts, be comfortable. Right? Either or. Hoodie, no hoodie, whatever. Yeah, it's just perfect. And it's just, yeah, it's, it, it's a shame. I mean, it can go, you know, longer than just September. It can go as long as two months. Yeah. You know, e- even the last part of August was, was cooling off a lot yeah. earlier this year than it normally does. But... I think fall is the best time of year, no matter where you are. I suppose if you're south of the equator, it's the opposite because then yeah. that's spring. So I, you know what I mean, month what the equivalent time, right? But here in the northern hemisphere, the burr months are my favorites: September, October, November, December. Huh. Burr months. I never even considered. Yeah. I guess they are in fact burr months. They're all the burr months and those are my favorite months. So burr as in ooh it's getting chilly as well. Yes. Both actually. Huh. Nice. I dig that. And I get to decorate my planner for Halloween. Hello. I'm very excited. Oh yes. <laughs> hey you know plan what you dig or or sticker <laughs> what you dig. Sticker what or you like too. Sticker. Like that, right? <laughs> yeah go with it. I am getting so excited for Essen. What's Essen? Oh, come on. We are going <laughs> to the Netherlands first because it was cheaper, ironically, to go there a couple of days early and kind of get acclimated to the time and the weather and everything. And um, we're going to be staying in a home that is older than America, we were told. Yeah, by- that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> I mean, the original plan was we were going to leave here on Monday. So Essen is uh, Spiel, for those that right. don't know, that's the biggest board game convention in the world based in Essen, Germany. Mm-hmm. And it also happens to be the convention in which most of the games that we and y'all listening probably enjoy the most. So this is this is kind of like the Super Bowl right. of game conventions for right. at least for us. So it runs Thursday through Sunday. Wednesday is media day and we're able to go in and check out the booths while things are, are uh, setting up network as well as just touch base with folks mm-hmm. and and get pictures and, and video, whatever. Last year, I flew in on Wednesday, and because uh, my flight got delayed, I missed all of the media day, which yep. was really, really a shame. And I said, okay, never again will I do that. So the plan this year was we were going to leave Monday, assuming we would arrive on Tuesday mm-hmm. at uh, Dusseldorf, uh, from from Denver and and take the train from Dusseldorf up to Essen. The flights were a lot more expensive this year. They mm-hmm. were, I don't know, almost up in the eight hundreds yeah. uh, per per person, which again isn't you know outrageous no, or anything for a trip from Denver, Colorado to Essen or <laughs> right. Dusseldorf, Germany. Like Dan said, it's about what they paid to go to California. Right. You know? um, however, being being uh, 
cost conscious because uh, money's tight mm-hmm. as we get ready for the patron drive and everything. Uh huh. We have to be thrifty. We we you know trying to think how can we save some money. So I started looking around like on kayak.com and stuff and trying out different cities. And Yoris and Yeroon, well, actually, specifically Yeroon, uh, offered, hey, do you want to come to the house before Essen? And I was like, no, nah, there's no way Amanda's going to be able to get the time off of work. Right. Well, because you work four days a week, mm-hmm. normally Wednesday's off. Right. You're a la- you're, your work gives you the... Leeway, I guess. Yeah, that's a good way to yeah, put it, right? Yeah, too. I can... Normally, I can, you know... I have Wednesdays off the end, you know, no, no discussion. So you work Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday right. at your day job. Right. But if I give them enough heads up, then I can choose to switch my day off. So in this instance, I am going to switch Friday for Wednesday. So work Wednesday, have Friday off, and we're going to fly out on Friday. The week before Essen. Yes. And then the week after Essen... Swap your day off from Wednesday to, to Monday. Monday. So I'm able to kind of gives me a little bit of wiggle room there. Oh, a lot more than wiggle room. I mean, basically, you take one week's vacation and you end up getting 11 days. Yeah. So which it, it is just a worked, massive. Yeah. Help. It just works out perfectly. And I mean, I, f- I think they feel like, oh, gosh, okay, you worked here 10 hours a day. Okay. Well, you know, you can do, <laughs> we can work with you a little bit. Which is nice that your, yeah. your work's willing They're to do awesome. that. And my, my boss is, is willing to, to grant me the time as well. Yes, so I am. Thank you to, well, no, I was going to say thank you to our patrons. No, well, okay, uh, fine. I am. I'm their CEO. <laughs> you just don't know it. So anyway, uh, long story long, I guess, we started looking around um, because that gave us so much flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, what if we left on Friday the week before and flew into Amsterdam? $475 round trip per person? Yeah. Tell me more about yeah, this. I would crazy. like to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> so then uh, confirmed that uh, uh, Yeroon wasn't going to be able to, but he volunteered Yoris. Yeah, to, to he, he, he put in the email that Yoris sent us. He said, so I hear that Yeroon has offered my home. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're flying out there. We're arriving on Saturday. Uh, Yoris said that, uh, unfortunately, he and his wonderful wife, Nora, are going to be working that week. And we were like, actually, that's okay, mm-hmm. because... Um, Sunday, we may do a meetup with some of the uh, Dutch herd Yes, uh, there, which is just, this is so surreal to me. And then on Monday, we're going to go sightseeing. Yeah. We're going to be tourists. Um, and because of the city in which, where Joris lives, Leiden, it's very relative. Leiden apparently is a gorgeous place to, to explore, but 45 minutes away, we have the choice of three major cities. Yep. Amsterdam, The Hague, and Rotterdam, which Rotterdam, I understand, is more modern, uh, architecturally. It kind of got leveled in World it War did. II. Right. And, but all of this is just fascinating mm-hmm. to me. And so we're going to just go be tourists. We think we're going to go to Amsterdam. Or we may stay in Leiden. Yeah. I don't like, know. Or, like, I kind of want to go to The Hague to see the tribunal and, and to see some, they have paintings and stuff. And, right. And, and, and Amsterdam has uh, the Van Gogh Museum. Yeah, it's just, plus it's Amsterdam. Plus it's Amsterdam. And the, the funny thing is, is people are like, oh, hey, you can smoke weed. And, we, and I'm like, we're we in Colorado. We can and, and we choose, we choose not, not to, to here. So whatever. Why would we go to Amsterdam? <laughs> However, 
there is the red light district. Oh, God. And I feel like just to be thorough when we report yeah. back to our listeners, we mm-hmm. should at least investigate it a little bit. Sure, you can do that. I'll be looking for a stationary store. <laughs> so anyway, um, excited about that. Yes. Then one of the uh, one of uh, the herd is potentially going to uh, mule us <laughs> down to Essen. And then uh, the plan is to go to uh, Isildur. Uh, it's a hockey hockey team mm-hmm. uh, outside of Essen on Tuesday night with uh, some friends, and yep. then get ready for and check into our our condo. We're we're staying. We actually uh, we were invited to stay at a condominium or an apartment, a condo, whatever um, at Essen because it's cheaper. There's like a dozen of us between two of the condos. There's mm-hmm. like 14, 15 beds, something like that, yeah. and it's a really nice condo. Plus, we get to stay there for 150 euros for Total. six nights per person. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. Yeah. Um, whereas I stayed in a tiny little I believe it hotel was a room. closet, maybe a shoebox. Right. With uh, Paul Grogan and Oliver. And it was like 500 and something mm-hmm. euros. Now, it was close. It was, you know, a 10-minute walk Well, and you had breakfast every morning and everything. Right. But still, I would much rather have... The luxury of the condo, and we can go somewhere and eat. I mean, we'll have cars. They'll be, you know, people that are the people that we're staying with are from the Netherlands. They're going to be driving over, so we'll have, you know, we'll have cars. And everything. Yeah, it's it's. It, it, thankfully, we have friends. Yeah, is basically what we're saying, and that's allowing us to go on the cheap. Yep. Um, and we're paying our share. It's just mm-hmm. it, it it gave us the flexibility yeah. to be a lot well, more thrifty. It with hel- it. it helps whenever you have friends that are there that can, you know, do all of this stuff, you know. And organize it. Right. Exactly. Especially, yeah, yeah, yeah. it makes it a lot easier, especially when you don't speak the language or anything, well, you know. that's not as big a deal as you would think. I mean, I never had a problem being a dumb right. American over there who tried to speak and some you were told not German. To, yeah. And I was like, and they 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 told me, no, no, we'll speak English. <laughs> oh, ouch. Well, was, I tried. It was so weird because, like, in being American, being from Colorado and from Texas and from Nevada, I'm used to hearing Spanish spoken all around me all the time. So that's not a big deal to me. But Edward FaceTimed me from Essen last year and all I could hear around him was German. I'm like, what? And the, what? That, like that completely wigged me out because I'm not used to that language. You've never been outside the U.S. Right. So th- this is going to be so much fun. I know. I'm so excited. I'm really looking forward to it. And it's Essen. I mean, it's, it's as we said, it's the Super Bowl of board game conventions mm-hmm. for the heavier side of the hobby. And it's funny, um, because I'm going to be gone for so long, people at work are asking me, you know, like, well, where are you going? You know, and I'm talking about being excited to go to Germany and everything. And I'm explaining what they, what it, <laughs> where we're going and why and everything. And their face is just like... Glaze kind over. of glaze over like there's a convention for that kind of thing you know and i'm like yeah <laughs> here's my show <laughs> you should listen to my show <laughs> hello this is phil eklund of sierra madre games and you're listening to heavy cardboard so a buddy of mine craig who runs the botch games podcast he invited me onto his show this last week uh, while I was still on the mend, and I, I set aside a couple hours to be able to talk with him and Chris Kirkman of Dice Hate Me Games 
to talk about ethics in board gaming and, and reviewing, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, after we talked about our, our stance on this as a show mm-hmm. back in episode 81, Craig asked me onto his show to talk about it on his. And so uh, me, Craig, and Chris sat around and talked about it. I think it was a pretty good, I mean, it's not really going to be news to any of y'all. For the simple fact that if you heard episode 81, already, you already yeah. kind of heard, at least my opinion, right. on, on where we stand. I can't speak for the rest of the industry at large. I don't presume to. But it was kind of interesting to hear uh, Chris's take from he. they both review games as well as publish games. Mm. And so being able to hear his side of things and his viewpoint, I thought was was pretty uh, enlightening and, and good to hear, actually. So... Check it out if you're interested, botchgames.wordpress.com. We'll link to it in the show notes yeah. as well if y'all want to take a listen to that. You haven't done Acquired in a while. What have we picked up? Well, just uh, four of them, even though I think a couple of them we've talked about. But anyway, Tulip Bubble, uh, we're going to live stream a playthrough of this in the next few weeks. Nice. That's uh, from Moa Ideas, the same guys that brought you uh, Mini Rails. Mm-hmm. That box cover is beautiful. It is. And it's it's uh, a riff on the Tulip Mania back mm-hmm. in, I think it was the 17th century. So um, fascinating. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? So Tulip Bubble, Sidereal Confluence, mm-hmm. which I've talked about in, in numerous times mm-hmm. leading up to this episode. A prototype called Colin Stahl. It's Colin Steel. Mm-hmm. It's a uh, a smaller box game that uh, a prototype was sent to us. I'm not sure if we're supposed to say who or what or right. anything, but we're going to check that out. Looking forward to that. And last but not least, Feudum is back. This time for a proper review and playthrough that's going to be coming next month before Essen. Nice. So heads up on that. Oh, yeah. So with Essen coming up, I'm sure you've got stuff on your you know list there. Oh, yeah, for as far as hunting stuff, yeah, but y'all are going to have to wait a week or two for this one. I am going to be recording the SM Preview Show with Jim and Eric of Punching Cardboard very, very soon. So look for that episode in the next couple of weeks. Hashtag teaser. (laughs) So now that you're better. Seriously, right? We can actually get back to, you know. Playing, playing games, games. <laughs> so what are you what's what are you looking forward to i can't really speak to anything because i want to play games just th- all the games all of the games <laughs> i'll be honest I'm, I'm not far from that i mean i've i've basically not played any games for the better part of a month mm-hmm. now obviously there's a little bit here and there we did the live stream of time of crisis mini rails stuff like that but as far as really gaming four or five times a week to be able to get ready for the show and everything mm-hmm. we haven't really done that we at all since before gen con we, just ha- we haven't been able to because either you've been sick or i've been allergy stricken or you've been sick again so right. it's just yeah it's been a mess so as far as actually looking forward to playing specific games other than just all the games sidereal confluence is definitely high on my list more forbidden stars more on that in a bit tulip bubble and feudum mm-hmm. i mean the games we just got as well as Pretty much everything else that we own. Yes. But those are kind of the the highlights, I guess, mm-hmm. leading up to Essen. Not to mention the new edition of Wildcatters, which we're going to be live streaming before Essen yep. as well. So really looking forward to that. We haven't really been playing too much, but we have been, we've gotten a couple games in. We have, especially uh, once I started on the mend. Mm-hmm. Uh, on Saturday, we had a very abbreviated game day because mm-hmm. after one game, I was like, I'm exhausted. I yeah. need to go lay down for a little bit. And that was, I'd say Saturday and Sunday were the last two real days that I yeah. really felt 
okay, I need to not push mm-hmm. yet. Um, mm-hmm. And so we were lucky enough. Um, Matt suggested, hey, you want to play Agricola with Farmers of the Moor? Yeah, that I just love Agricola, especially with Farmers of the Moor. I think we that was what, how we played it the very first time we played it. Yep. I don't think you've ever played it without it. I have once. I haven't. And I've heard enough from yeah. you that, no, Agricola is Agricola, but you that means you that. Ha- you play with Farmers of the Moor. And when, yeah. when Tony and I did the review way back in the day, man, I can't even remember what episode. episode 18, sir. Wow. All right. Episode 18. Mm-hmm. And we're on what? 86? 86. Okay. So back on episode 18, both Tony and I agreed that Agricola means Agricola with Farmers of the yeah. Moor. Yeah, I mean, um, and there's just so much, so much goodness here. You have, like, one of the questions in my Ask the Elephant was, what's your desert island game? And it was Agricola because, but the stipulation was I had to have all of the expansions and all of the card decks. Well, then you could literally be 70 years and not play the same game. Exactly my point. So we are hopefully going to be playing it more and maybe taking a little bit of a relook at it since it was so long ago that you reviewed it number one. And then number two, I wasn't involved at all, you know, in that review. So I I think, I I think that's a pretty cool idea. Agricola revisited type thing. Uh, It was really cool to get the quote unquote classic, you know, back Mm -hmm. to the table. Uh, Four players. It was you, me, Matt and banker Dave. And I got brutalized. Yes, you did. And I was really surprised at how much AP it induced Mm -hmm. in me that there was a lot of cussing Uh involved. A lot. Uh, Everybody kept taking the the actions that I desperately needed right before I needed to desperately take them. He never would take first player. So that was his own fault. Hmm. Part of the reason for that, though, <laughs> is we chose not to draft the occupations and all yeah. that. The reason is because three of us, meaning you, me, and Matt, it had been so long mm-hmm. since we'd played. We were like, you know what? We just need to kind of get our feet wet and re-familiarize yeah. ourselves with the and game. Banker Dave is a shark in that he, game. He very much is, and he showed that. Yep. However, going forward, mm-hmm. if we're going to get this to the table more leading up to a revisited look at it, I definitely want to start drafting yes. those because part of the reason I didn't take first player or starting player in that is you can you can build a minor improvement with that or an occupation. I forget. It's one of those two. And I really was underwhelmed by the cards that and we played uh, the base cards along with the farmers of the more cards and shuffled it up. And, mm-hmm. and that was it. I think we played the. It's a deck that starts with an I. Yeah, the interactive deck. Yeah, that's it. And a lot of the cards I got just, they were really, eh, like, I, whatever. So I never felt really motivated to take that action for the simple fact that I felt like I was wasting it mm-hmm. just to take first player. Yeah. And it ended up biting me in the butt because, wow, going fourth and third a mm-hmm. lot in that game is, is unpleasant. Yep. And that was not good. You just kind of have to sacrifice... You know, to yep, be able to one, one action, one time, yep. and let's let's get to it. But that said, I really didn't realize how much I missed playing it until mm-hmm. we got it. And it's one of those games that, wow, we need to play this more yep. when it hits the table. So this just in, we're going to play it more. Uh-huh. So yeah, that was really cool to uh, get a look back at and looking forward to doing another review of it mm-hmm. uh, and see if it's held up. Here it is, you know, three years later right. or whatever. And really, the only other game that we've gotten played is Forbidden Stars. Yep. I've played it twice since uh, since we got it to the table. Mm-hmm. I've played it once. 
And I gotta say, I've been really pleasantly surprised at what the game has offered. So it's it's set in the Warhammer 40k universe. It's mm-hmm. a fantasy flight game, which those two sentences right there, or phrases, don't really uh, normally mesh with heavy cardboard. No. However, there's been enough folks out there that uh, enjoy heavy games that have said enough good things about Forbidden Stars that... I went ahead and picked it up, I don't know, what, a it's year a ago? a while ago, yeah. Uh, and j- just because I heard it was not going to be available because the partnership between Games Workshop and FFG had split, so this wasn't going to be produced anymore. And so I was like, well, let's pick it up, and if we like it, cool. If not, we can always just mm-hmm. get rid of it, whatever. Really pleasantly surprised. So there's this really cool order of the way uh, you do your actions out there. It's... Everybody has uh, four different actions that are available to them, uh, these little tiles that you place out in the different sectors on the board. It's set in space. It's it's combat in space, mm-hmm. basically. However, you have to think about them backwards. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is you can stack orders on top of orders and other players can stack on top of yours. So the order in which they resolve is top to bottom, mm-hmm. not the order in which they were placed. Right. It's in the opposite order. Right. And oh boy, can that be some serious, I know that you know that I know that you know, yeah. you're going to go there, so I'm going to wait you out. And it just really well, clever and, and really al- well done. And also it goes, whoever is on top is who you know chooses to go. So if on opposite, complete opposite ends of the spectrum, all of all four of your tiles are face up. You have to pick which one you want to do first. Or on the opposite, you have nothing showing because someone has gone on top of you every single time. Meaning you just get to wait until mm-hmm. one of your orders is revealed. And then if you only have one of them revealed, you have to take that yep. action. Whether even you, if, yep. even e- if it's not the order mm-hmm. in which you wanted to do it. Well, you know what? Mm-hmm. This just in. Tough. Plan better. <laughs> Combat is handled in a really cool way. You roll a number of custom dice based on what units and how many of them you have involved in a battle. Then you draw five cards out of your hand of 10 cards, and then you play these cards, which are going to influence uh, the dice. They, mm-hmm. they add or subtract. Plus, they all have little rule breakers and cool little mm-hmm. things. There's a lot of death of your yeah. units. There's a lot of just chaos but it's it's not as it's a lot more controlled chaos than what first appears much like what the feature review is going to entail today with dominant species so overall i would say very positive early impressions of forbidden stars um the one downside that i've kind of noticed so far Mm -hmm. again a learning game and then one regular game is that it's very much a slow progressing game but there's a steady pace to it, but it can it takes its time to tell its yeah. story. I think is a good way to put it. It's it's long. Um, I played it four, and I wasn't as enthused as you are. But that could be the player count, like because it took it took a really long time. Well, not only that, but it was a learning game. So, but you'll play it more before we review it, and we're yeah. going to be live streaming it here in the next week and a half or so. Mm-hmm. So. More on that later. So that's Forbidden Stars. Mm -hmm. We love hearing from y'all and interacting with our fellow elephants. So if you'd like to reach out to us, head on over to heavycardboard.com and you'll find our email and social media accounts. If you'd like to call and leave us a voicemail, with a caveat we might use it on the show, hit us up at 720-675-675. 
888-888-8975. And don't forget about all the video content we're producing over on our YouTube channel, which is Heavy Cardboard Vids. Big thank you to our sponsor, BoardGameTables.com. If you're in the market for a customized, one-of-a-kind board game table, go check them out, BoardGameTables.com. Dominant species. We've kept this one in our back pocket for quite a while now. And the reason is, Mm -hmm. is because uh, it's a game that I knew I could review at the drop of a hat. And it was going to be one of those games to where we wanted to make it available for when we weren't able to play any games, if and when that ever comes about. Well, kind of a rainy day type situation. Well, with me being sick and everything as bad as I have been the last few weeks. Well, it was raining. Yep. And so here we go. However, before we get started on our review of Dominant Species, let me preface that we're aware there is a short game version. We've never played it. We're not going to be speaking to it in our review. Our review is only about the full game, which, in our opinion, is the only way to play the game. So with that said, let's get into Dominant Species. Published in 2010, designed by Chad Jensen, artwork by Chad Jensen, Roger McGowan, Chechu Naito, and Eric Williams, published by GMT Games, plays two to six players and, according to the box, plays in two to four hours. As far as availability and cost, it's currently between printings. So technically, yes, it's out of print, but another printing is coming. It's on GMT's P500 right now, waiting for enough folks to commit to it for a fifth printing. It's available for 55 bucks through the P500. And the cool thing about GMT's P500 You don't pay for it yet. You just commit to paying for it. And even then, if you decide you don't want it, you can cancel it. Right. Don't recommend people, you know, kind of gaming the system like that. But life happens. So if you need to cancel, you can cancel. Mm -hmm. When it's ready to ship, they charge you the 55 bucks and that's that. Otherwise, it's about $75 on the secondary market right now. So plays and player counts we've experienced. I've played the full range of players and I have nearly 30 plays of the game under my belt. I've played it at least 10 to 12 times, I would say, and four to six players for all of them. Okay. All right, so what's going on in the game? 90,000 BC, a great ice age is fast approaching. Another titanic struggle for global supremacy has unwittingly commenced between the varying animal species. Dominus Species is a game that abstractly recreates a tiny portion of ancient history, the ponderous encroachment of an ice age, and what that entails for the living creatures trying to adapt to the slowly changing Earth. Each player assumes the role of one of six major animal classes, mammals, reptiles, birds, amphibians, arachnids, or insects. Each begins the game more or less in a state of natural balance in relation to one another, But it's not going to last. It is indeed survival of the fittest. Through clever action pawn placement, i.e. worker placement, players will strive to become dominant on as many different terrain tiles as possible in order to claim powerful effect cards. Through clever action pawn placement, players will strive to become dominant on as many different terrain tiles as possible in order to claim powerful card effects. Players will also want to propagate their individual species in order to earn victory points for their particular animal. Players will be aided in these endeavors via speciation, migration, and adaptation actions, among others. 
All of this eventually leads to the end of the game, the final ascent of the Ice Age. With whomever has accumulated the most victory points will have their animal crowned the dominant species. But somebody better become dominant quickly because it's getting mighty cold out there. All right, let's get into the five factors that give the game its weight in our opinion, starting off with complexity as far as rules overhead and so on and so forth. There are a lot of rules and a lot to remember in the game. The most difficult thing for everybody is going to be the difference between domination and how many species you actually have. And population. In the area. Yep. Yes. And that's why I made actually a separate video yes, of it you did. way back in the day a when, I, when I did ago. a video of this, right? Yep. See, for me, I think it's a low rules overhead. I really do. I mean, you place a worker on an available worker placement spot, continue doing that in player order. Then resolve the actions top to bottom, left to right, then do a cleanup. I mean, easy game, right? I mean, you it's very procedural. So I think that with it being procedural, that lowers the rules overhead because look, okay, step one, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, do that. Boom, done, right. rinse and repeat. And right? I can I can see it from that standpoint, but also you have to remember or use the player aid to remember exactly what every single thing does that goes down in those procedural orders. But at the same time, you have that player aid right mm -hmm. in front of you. Oh, yeah. So there's that. And provided the person who taught the game did a good job of driving home those points. Or that you watched your video. Or, or, or that. <laughs> However, yes, there are a lot of potential actions available. But I still don't think it's a, a lot of rules overhead. It's, okay, this... Uh, you know, gets an element onto your onto your uh, tableau, or this one goes out, uh, puts an element out on the planet. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel like there's a a ton here. Um, the one thing that I completely agree with, though, is and this trips up new players without a doubt every mm -hmm. time, is the difference between domination and population. Yep, population equals points. Domination gets you cards. Dominance cards. So that's how I tend to teach it, mm -hmm. and that tends to help, I think. But it's still hard for that one thing, which is such a critical yeah. aspect of the game to keep clear in your head that that trips up new players. Every so that, time. That definitely adds to the complexity of yeah. the game, and that I totally agree. There has not been a game that we have played unless it was all players that knew how to play already that... A dominance cone has been sat down and someone has been like, but wait, I have way more cubes than you do. What? Right. And you know. be like, no, no, that's population. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're right. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Also, having to constantly reevaluate dominance anytime a player gets a new element onto their player board, i.e. adapting to their new environment, if you want to go thematically mm -hmm. about it, or when a new element is placed on the tile, uh, on a tile on the board, having to always constantly do those calculations mm -hmm. between all the players that adds to the level of complexity yeah. as well. Whereas I know like people say, Oh, in the app, all that's done for you. Well, sure. Yeah. But that's a difference between a video game and a board game, exactly. in my opinion, yeah. at least. So complexity here, I feel it's not really high. You disagree. I though. disagree. All right. So moving on into the planning, as far as how much forethought and thinking ahead that's involved, I definitely feel like it's more tactical than strategic based on what dominance cards are revealed at the beginning of each round. However, I don't think people or I do feel that people underestimate the amount of strategic 
decisions and the amount of long-term planning that is involved in this game just because, oh, I have to deal with the dominance cards that are available this turn. I mean, whether that's preparing for the massive endgame scoring and positioning yourself well for it and doing so early, whether that's, you know, being able to adapt your species better, meaning you can survive on more so that you can spread out late game to be able to get onto more tiles, or whether it's avoiding or gathering on glaciers and the potential points and fights that are going to go down over them. I feel like there's a lot of strategic planning here, even though there's more tactical. Right. And and to expound on that just a little bit, even if it this is definitely for people that have played the game multiple times, but if you haven't seen Catastrophe yet, or you haven't seen another blight um, right or mass exodus right. or if any of these nasty cards if you haven't seen any of those cards yet it's in the back of your mind that you need to already start working on making sure that you're not completely hosed whenever that card comes out and that there adds to i i you know actually now that you bring that up to circle back a little bit to complexity there's no way that a new player can plan for these things having never seen them. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I mean, sure, you can explain it to a new player but the first time, but until they actually have a blight or a catastrophe happen to them, yeah. it's not going to have a memorable impact, and I bet you they'll remember it next time. Yep. However, uh, so yeah, in that respect, I definitely think that's going to add to the uh, the complexity, especially for new players. So that's actually a really good point. In addition to the planning, you also, you can't just play your game. You have to play everybody else's game around the table. And you have to keep in mind what everybody's, what actions are selecting, where they're placing their cubes, whether they can survive there, whether you can go over there and survive as well. Or in each, each animal has its own special ability. So say you're the spiders, you can go somewhere and make sure you kill somebody every single time, you know, so there's just there's a lot a lot of planning that goes into every single thing you do in this game. And playing to your species strength, which you're talking about, definitely helps. However, it's not the end all be all. Like if you go off script and if you're the birds and you migrate well and you're not maximizing that, it makes your game harder, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't do other right. things and avoid it. It's just making your job harder, right. kind of swimming upstream, mm-hmm. so to speak. It doesn't completely screw you up if you don't do what your animal is built around doing. So the tactical aspects of the game, and they are significant. Don't let me uh, you know, convey otherwise, but those come in the form of the dominance cards, and these can can and often are massive shifts in game state for either the players or certain areas on the board, preparing and adapting to what you perceive may happen with those cards definitely makes for the bulk of the tactical decisions in the game. Yes. And so there is that mix of tactical and strategic with a uh, kind of a leaning towards tactical. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, so there's only about three luck and random factors in Dominant Species and in general. I, I would argue that there's no luck. It's just random it factors. It is random, well, yeah. there, I, Okay, let me rephrase that. No, there's it could a, be luck for sure. Yeah. There's a little bit of it when you do random draws out of the bag. Exactly. That's what I was thinking of. So when the domi- what domination cards come out and when they come out. Not just that, but 
the the nice thing for the lack of randomness is as you play this game more, I mean, there are a finite amount of cards and all the cards come out every yep. game. So you know the card will come. Right. It's just a matter of when. It's not like you take one out and, ooh, maybe that doesn't come. No, right. every single one. What tiles come out for Wonderlust to expand the world? Right. The actual land tiles, mm-hmm. right? And what discs come out for Adaptation, Abundance, and Wonderlust as well. Right. As well as there are some of those dominance cards to where you can do a random draw for an element and it may or may not really help Mm -hmm. you. So that would be, I guess, the luck factor. But the good thing about all of this quote unquote randomness that's in this game is it's all done ahead of each round. There is no randomness within the round itself outside of whatever the hell your opponents are going to try and do to to you and for them Mm -hmm. which i mean that's any game right yeah so round around sure there is quite a bit but within the round there is Mm -hmm. none the only thing during the game round itself would be the pull the drawing of an element from the bag but other than that that's it, and that's it. The, even at the very end of the round, so and not only that, but you select the dominance card, so you chose to yes. take that. So you're choosing to mm-hmm. invite that randomness and that luck yep. into that. So again, that's player driven, mm-hmm. right? Now, game length. There, are, if you read the comments on BGG, and boy, did I! I've read horror stories of five, six, seven hour oh games goodness. of dominant species. I cannot fathom why people. Have that happen. Um, that said, it feels like it plays in an appropriate length for the amount of decisions in the game. And to me, there's so little downtime here that you're constantly engaged. The time flies by, at least when I play this. Yeah, it does. But and I would all I would say though that the players around the table decide how long it takes because if I mean there's multiple times that this can happen, but if you AP really bad or everybody around the table APs. Um, or even the game doesn't end until someone takes that Ice Age card. So that card can just stay there. And we actually had a game of that happen in which we were going to finish in nearly two hours flat in a a six-player game, A Dominant Species. Is it the first HeavyCon, right? It was. The first game of the first Mm -hmm. HeavyCon, and then nobody took the Ice Age card. They were scoring tiles where there was no dominance markers Mm -hmm. just because they didn't think they were in position to win and so it actually became a three-hour game which i've never seen that happen but sure so it is possible Mm -hmm. but like you said it's entirely dependent on the players to dictate the pace of the game Mm -hmm. so the the time that the box says two to four hours in my opinion is spot on yeah we play the game I can play with five new players and we can be done in three hours. Mm-hmm. So these horror stories of five and six hours. I don't understand. Have some consideration for the other people at mm-hmm. the table. And it's not just you. Donate. Don't. I mean, once in a while. Sure, I get that. That happens once but or every twice turn. in a game. But every turn. No, stop doing that. Yeah. Don't, don't be that person. So that said, game length, I feel like doesn't really contribute to the, to the weight of the game. Unless you allow it to. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. What do you think about getting it? A full game. Because not only the population versus dominance understanding, which takes a, a bit to drive home and for mm-hmm. a lot of people to keep straight, which I was one of those people. Oh, yeah, so we all were. I mean, most of us are. 
However, the end game scoring is so massive Mm -hmm. that it usually has to be experienced before folks can appreciate it. And on top of that, seeing all the cards and seeing what Mm -hmm. the cards can and will do to you and the other players, you're just not going to be prepared for that until you experience it. So it's got to be a minimum of a full game. It has to be a full game. Um, And because a lot of people are going to either pick on the leader or ignore the person at the very back of the points. And you cannot do that in this game because there have been multiple times that Edward has scored. Like he's been, you know, at the very, very back of the bus and he has scored, you know, 90 points and won. And because nobody was paying attention to what he was doing because he was dead last. You can't do that in this game. And you can't appreciate that until Until you actually experience it. it. Exactly. Plus, I mean, obviously, the strategy for every di- for every animal is different, and that's going to take multiple plays of each animal to to experience yep. and to learn, as well as the different order in which the cards come out are going to influence mm-hmm. the way the game plays out. So there is just there's a ton of getting it, and there's a ton of really getting the yeah. deeper strategies that are involved in this game. There's getting it, and then. Getting it. Oh. Getting it. Yeah. Yes. So overall, what do you think weight-wise, where does dominant species fall? Not physical weight, but Well, game both weight. actually would be heavy to me because of the sheer amount of planning that has to be done in this game. Yeah, it's a solid heavy game, much like a game like Lahav. I mean, the individual actions are real simple. Place a worker, do an action. But oh, there is so much more to take mm-hmm. into account here. All right, let's move on to the the cardboard, the actual components of the game. It's what you'd expect from a GMT. It's nice, thick cardboard pieces and good wood pieces. The species cards that the player aids, you know, that have all your, your where you put your elements and everything, those could be on a little bit thicker cardboard. Yeah, stock. those are pretty thin. They're pretty floppy. They're they're uh, they remind me of the uh, the player boards in Terraforming Mars. Yes, as far as that thickness, they're 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 cardstock. They're not cardboard. Yeah, they should be they should be cardboard. And I I should preface here that we're talking regarding the third printing or what's th- thought of as the third edition of the game. Whenever we talk about the artwork right. and everything else, um, so that's the that's the edition we own. So that's what we're talking about. Solid wooden bits. There's large cylinders for the action pawns. The cubes are uh, for species or animals. Um, those are, uh, they're just regular size yeah, cubes. Yeah, they're just cubes. Then there are wooden cones for the dominance markers. The cones can be a bit slick and yeah, hard to pick up. Because this just up. in, they're conical in shape yeah. and they're they're smooth. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter your hand size either. You can be me with my tiny little hands or you with your big old hands. And it's still hard to pick up, but... We have overhauled our copy, so we don't have to worry about that part. We have a local game store here in town that sells Safari Limited miniatures mm-hmm. and their little kind of rubber plastic squishy squishy miniatures. Mm-hmm. And so we got a bunch of elephants for the mammals. We got penguins for the birds. We got penguins and flamingos for the birds. So you have your option. The the We bought the game used and whoever had the game before us, they replaced the con- the cones for the mammals with little tiny monkeys, which is where we got the idea to do this in the first right. place. Right, and so we don't use the cones no. anymore because they are hard to pick up. Plus, it just lo- it has a better table it presence looks so cool. with the animals on there. So, But talking about just the base game, yes. the cones, I mean, yeah, it, it, 
they could have chosen a better shape just because yeah. they can be a bit of a pain to pick up because they're they're glossy, they're smooth. You no, know, even all that. if it was like hexagonal or just and just another shape. Right, but not really a huge deal no. here. The cardstock is fine for the dominance cards. Yep. Not linen finished, but you're not really handling the cards no, very much you're anyway. Not, you're not, and they you know they've got a good sound to them when you flick them. Right. The elements. The element discs are cardboard punch-out cardboard, mm-hmm. so they're just standard thickness for cardboard. They're mm-hmm. nothing exceptional. Personally, I do wish that those were wooden tokens with stickers yeah. on them. It would have made them easier to pick up. Mm-hmm. Not like as tall as the action pawns, but you know, just a few millimeters high yeah. to just give it a little bit more... I don't know, a little bit more heft to the component quality, and it just would have been nicer, yeah. I think, instead of the the cardboard discs whenever you've for the got elements. A, whenever you've got a bunch of species in there, you've got dominance cones and everything, and it's hard sometimes for those elements to stay on there. Sometimes they kind of flop over yep. or move around. A bit fiddly, and, yeah. I would say, definitely, um, so that if we do want to trick out our copy further, that is the next step yes. is to upgrade those. Now... We're not saying that any of this is necessary. Nothing, no, nothing that we have done to enhance our game is anything that needs to be done. It just makes it cooler. Right. Moving on to the box size. It's a, it's a pretty it's thick. It's a thick box. It's agricola-shaped uh, size, but deeper. a little bit... Exactly. Uh, I was going to say thicker. Mm-hmm. Deeper works too. 12.2 by 9.2 by 3 inches or 31 by 23.5 by 7.5 centimeters. Graphic design, go for it. I feel it's very well done. There are reminders as to what different things do throughout the board. And the the card that you always have right in front of you. The player tableau. The player tableau that tells what every single action does and explains them all. And it even will highlight what your specific species does. Like it'll remind you that the birds, whenever you choose migration, you get to move two. Oh, so a little like uh, helpful reminders. Little cheat for, sheet type right, thing. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I think it's it's clear, relatively simple, and it's mm-hmm. consistent, which again is, is the most important thing when it comes to graphic design. Right. The food chain order is on the on the board. The um, bonus scoring. The bonus scoring is on the board. The how, what diff- the different points that each tile gives you is on the board. So and they're on the tiles themselves as well. So it's just there's a lot of little little hints and tricks and everything all over the board always. Now on that when we move as we move into artwork here there is definitely a clear distinction between the 3rd edition or the 3rd printing and and so on. Yes. from the first two. There is a very distinct difference in the artwork. Mm-hmm. And some people would say also the graphic design because the artwork in the new edition I would say is more enhanced. It's more lifelike. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's gorgeous art. I like it. Mm -hmm. The earlier editions have more of a kitschy or whimsical. Cartoony. Yeah. yeah, For the, the board and the cards themselves. Now, there is a little bit of a distinction as far as functionality and usability and readability between those two editions. Again, the edition we play on is the third, which mm-hmm. is the newer artwork, mm-hmm. the more lifelike right. artwork. Whereas the original ones, I much prefer the aesthetic appeal of the newer edition. However, there is, there there are some valid uh, points that people say the cards, the text on the cards is a lot clearer in the earlier editions, as is the scoring 
numbers on the tiles themselves okay. are stand out a little bit more in the earlier editions. However, for me, I think it's really a matter of taste. There mm-hmm. is the third edition is completely functional and I think very easily playable. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for me to get rid of the third edition. Yeah. Let's put it that way is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an aesthetic appeal. Which which type do you yeah. like more? If you like the first edition, great. If you like the third edition, great. And first and second, I think, are essentially think the, same the same thing. It was the third printing when they changed stuff. Right. And I don't think anything's changed since the third. Uh, uh, going into the fifth, I don't think there's going to be any changes. So it, it really is an aesthetic choice mm-hmm. on which one you choose to get. Yeah, it really is. As, to my, at least that's what my research has shown. Right. All right. Rule book clarity and quality. I don't think there's a better, more clear rule book out there. It's easy to read, it's easy to understand, and for a heavier game, it's excellent and the model for other games to follow. Wow. It is that good. It would be a six on our one to six scale as far as rule books. Each player board, as you said, it kind of doubles as a player aid. Not kind of, it does. Now, there are other player aids on BGG, mm-hmm. and I'll be honest, I did print some out and laminate them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't need it, but again, I have almost 30 plays of the game under right. my belt. But However, some of the things can be a little confusing. It's not, everything isn't spelled out every single thing within every action mm-hmm. on the player aids on the board. But whereas it is the, on that. On that player aid, and we'll go ahead and link to it in the show notes as well. And the last bit about the uh, the rule book, I don't get it, man. I really don't. Yeah. 256 rules questions on BGG. But How? I don't I don't know, but let me let me say this. It doesn't matter what anything is, it doesn't matter the format, it doesn't matter anything. There are gonna be people that would rather ask than look up anything. And I think that's what it is. It's not so much that the rules aren't clear right. or anything. They just don't want to look it up. There's a reason that there's a website called Let Me Google That For You. Fair point. Point I mean, taken. Yep. That, that's just how, it's just how it is. It's right. just how it is. 256 rules. Just how it is. Just how it is. <laughs> All right. So let's get into the setup and everything. So for setup and teardown, it's pretty quick. Plastic baggies are going to be your friend for the different animals. Uh, all the All the wooden pieces for each player. The cards, you can keep the element discs in the bag that come with the game. Really simple setup and teardown. It's just not hard at all. As far as teaching and learning, explaining that for a fair portion of the game, control of the dominance cards is far more important than victory points. Go over the three stages of a round, placing your action prongs or your APs or your workers. Execute them top to bottom, left to right, then go through cleanup. Then go over what each action does and finally explain and emphasize and then emphasize some more the difference between population and dominance on the tiles. And lastly, emphasize that in-game scoring is massive. Do that and that's pretty much how I go about teaching Mm -hmm. the game. I'm going to be doing, we are going to be doing a playthrough of this in the coming weeks and months, whatever it is. Pretty good th- teaching, I think I have down on it, so you can always check that out as well. And until then, Google dominant species. It's how to lit- play? 
It's literally like the third link. No, if you just do dominant species, if you Google that, it's like the third link is his video from forever ago. Yeah, I, I made a, it was the very first, boy, I look so big in But I'll link video. it in the show notes too. Anyway, uh, yeah, it's about four years ago, well before uh, Heavy Cardboard existed. Anyways, it's, it's long, but eh, not bad, you know, considering. Anyway. Apparently, there are people that really enjoy this game, and here is why those that enjoy the game enjoy the game. Player interaction. Wait, this has interaction? <laughs> Nothing is set in stone in this game. You have to make plans on top of plans on top of plans. And secondary a, plans. And then another plan. And, and tertiary then, plans. And then plan Q and then plan you know ww because you've already gone through the alphabet. You have to have 20 different what-if scenarios, contingency plans, for when you wanted to do what you wanted to do, what you plan on doing just goes... And people complain about AP in this game. Can't imagine why. Yeah, I don't know. Asymmetric positions from a mostly symmetric starting point leads to different levels of importance of any given action at any given time. So what I value, you might not mm -hmm. care two bits about. Whereas later on in the game, that may flip. Yep. Maybe it doesn't. But the fact that we all start roughly symmetric yeah. even though we all have a special ability that each of our animals has that's unique to us basically you're starting symmetrically but with different elements that you're able to i don't feel like basically at all you are starting symmetrically every single person has a plate you know has one has dominates one dominates one tile right everybody has another they Everybody have four species, four species out, out on the board. Everybody does. Everybody starts in the same spot. Every However, the amphibians start with three elements. That's their special Correct. ability. So that's where a little bit of asymmetry comes into play. But for the most part, I would say, yes, they are symmetric starting points, but they you end up completely asymmetric as you go through the game and where you end mm -hmm. up, which gives it, it forces that interaction that you yep. just spoke about. The chaos. There's chaos? You have to be okay with it because there's no way you're going to be able to plan for every single outcome, no matter how much you try. It's just, that's not not going to happen. Um, you know, you're all set and ready to go. Great. Oh, no. Here's the catastrophe card. You're dominant in all the good areas. Oh, crap. There goes all the elements from Maltundra. So, yes, there is a fair amount of chaos, but it is... I'm not going to say controllable chaos, but there are ways in which you can work your way around. Mitigatable chaos? I No, because you're not really mitigating. Well, yeah, okay. I think that's a fair way to put it, I guess. I see it as a way of working around the chaos. Like, you see what's coming this round. Okay, if there's a mass exodus and a catastrophe card both out there... I'm not going to spend a whole lot of actions speciating, i.e. putting right. more of my finite amount of cubes out on the board only to see them wiped out. Mm -hmm. So I'm mitigating it. I am working around that. Yes, it's chaotic, but I dictate what actions I'm taking. Mm -hmm. So if I plan poorly, then these things, are, the, the chaos is going to affect me negatively more. Okay, that's on me though. Right, right? but yes... But because there's only one space to use for the regression, wasteland, and depletion, the power can be twofold. I mean, you can unleash the chaos or you can have it unleashed on you because you can either use it to your advantage and use it to help yourself in those one areas 
in the one placement area, you can put your AP there to completely brutalize someone else. You can, but that's a conscious decision, and that's not chaos. That's strictly players attacking other players. So, see, and I feel like these are two different things. Okay. Chaos being, okay, wow, this crazy randomness of this these wild, you know, super overpowered cards that really aren't, you just have to learn how to work around them. Okay, if a player attacks me, well, you know what? That was another player doing that. So I guess player, player chaos. chaos. I I suppose. I mean, yeah. you there's there is no other word but chaos to describe how it would be to another player to have every single element that they can survive on be wiped off. And that that happens, but that doesn't mean you're out of the game. No. But at the same time, okay, yeah, that's chaotic. I guess. However, you know what? Make lemonade out of lemons. So I, I kind of briefly touched on this a second ago, that your species are a finite resource. At the beginning of the game, depending on the player count, you get a certain amount of cubes, which are your species of your animal. Losing them hurts, because if you plan poorly and put a bunch out ahead of, an, like I said, that mass migration or a catastrophe or, or any of these other things that really are not pleasant experiences no. when they happen to you... You ain't getting them back, and it's really hard to score a lot when your species is littered all over the Deadpool. <laughs> and with rare exception, once they're in the Deadpool, they're out of the game. That's it. Yep. So if you started with 35 and you have 20 of them in there, oof. Yeah. So plan better. And there's a, there's a dominance card that allows you to pick... Just a few out of the Deadpool, but it's not like you get them all back. Right. I think you get four. I want to say it's four or five, yeah. So with that chaos that you... Every player has various and dramatic ways of affecting the board state and their other players. But again, that is player-driven. Yeah. And that is a positive thing. That is an exciting yes, thing. Yes, absolutely. That is a good thing. Yeah. All of these things are good. Just oh, Fair point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're talking about what we like. We're not talking about what we don't like yet. For me, the ability to play the different animals is really cool because they're completely different games. You play one game as insects and then one game as mammals. It's just vastly different. Not only are their special abilities different, but the way they things go in food chain mm -hmm. order for tiebreakers, that's, that can be a massive difference. Yep. So mammals, they're last in turn order at the beginning of the game, but they win all ties mm -hmm. whenever it comes to domination. So if we're tied, oh, I get the more points if I'm the mammals. Mm -hmm. Long live the mammals. Yep. And so it's the way you play them is mm -hmm. vastly, or the way you potentially should right. play them is vastly different. And that makes for a more exciting game because, like you said, you play the arachnids, you go on the offensive mm -hmm. with uh, being able to kill a whole lot with yep. competition, whereas the mammals... You're not worried about that. No. You're, do, you're playing a different game, and that's where that asymmetry comes mm -hmm. in. I mean, the basics, you know, are the same, of course, but it feels like it, it's, you know, just enough to give it a different feel. Because, like you were saying, if you play the arachnids, you're constantly killing people. If you play the birds, you're spreading out, you know, so it's just, it's really cool. It gives it a different feel every and time. And as you said earlier, uh, the game forces you, if you're going to play it well, 
to not only play your game, but you have to play everybody else's game because you have to not only anticipate what actions they're going to take, because maybe you can wait to take this action because you don't think anybody else has a need for that. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'll wait on that. I'll go do this other higher priority action and uh, and do that earlier in the order so that I have a better choice. Whereas, but you're rolling the dice, but if you've played everybody else's game, well, you can anticipate that. Exactly. You're constantly engaged as the board state changes on potentially every single action. So it isn't a game in which, you know, you're going to take your turn and then go make a sandwich. No. You are constantly involved in this game mm-hmm. and watching everything that everyone is doing yeah. because, and you you know, you, you, you miss a minute, you miss a lot. Yeah, you may, you know, you can't go, you can't leave because you, you may come back and not dominate anything anymore and not have any idea why. Right. Regardless of how many times you've played the game, it's constantly a different game. Mm -hmm. It forces you to adjust on the fly each and every game because the order of those domination cards comes out is different in every game. If you get some of the real nasty cards, which let's face it, the game hates you and is trying to kill everybody. Yes. So 90% of those cards that are in the game are negative for everybody that didn't choose those cards. So the order in which those come out can completely change the way a certain game is going to play out. So therefore, you're playing a new game every time. All right, not to be superficial, but seeing a massive catastrophe happen to other players and minimally affect you, kind of (laughs) gratifying. Yeah, it really is. So is strategically and very quietly moving on to a whole bunch of tundra tiles and no one realizing what you're doing till you slam them with a hammer of a bunch of points. That's fun too. Overall, there's a low amount of luck considering the amount of randomness that happens in preparation of each round. It's all player controlled. Yeah, it is. It's yeah, it's all player controlled, and like you like we talked about earlier, it it's not like it hits you in the middle of a round. You know what's coming. You see everything. So that should make it very apparent where you should, what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Or at least maybe not very apparent, but if you're astute enough to look at, okay, look, there are all these cards that are going to wipe out, whether it's elements, tiles, whatever. You know what? Maybe I just don't put a whole lot of species out on Mm -hmm. the board this turn so that, okay, those are out of the game. I've passed that. Now I can start to speciate and start to spread out. And that, and it also would allow you to choose other spaces with your APs because you know you're not going to be speciating. Right, APs being action pawns. Right. I think we've established yeah, we that, hit it. right? We okay. Um, it's procedural in the way the round works, so relatively easy to teach. Mm-hmm. The the procedural nature definitely helps with that. There's not a bunch of downtime in theory as each action. It's it's a quick thing, and having multiple workers means you have multiple actions in the first and second phase of the game, both in placing your APs as well as actually carrying mm-hmm. out the action in which you want to. So what do you think about this? I feel like the opacity of who the true leader is keeps things interesting. Whoever leads in victory points isn't necessarily the player that you should be focusing all your angst Mm -hmm. and aggression towards Mm -hmm. because ignoring the man behind the curtain will come back to bite you a lot of times. Yep, it will. Because there is a pick on the leader habit in this game. However, the leader isn't necessarily the person with the most points, even though victory points is the goal of the game. Usually, honestly, usually isn't. 
because people pick on them yeah. and let other people do their, you know, their their nastiness mm-hmm. behind the scenes yep. to prepare for the massive endgame scoring. For me, being able to manipulate control from the appearance of chaos, which is those dominance cards, is really a cool feeling. Being able to be like, yes, I see all this massive amount of chaos. But is it really there or is it just the appe- the appearance of chaos and this, oh, I can't control anything and eh, you really can. Yeah. It's just a matter of being able to see through the obviousness that, oh, these cards are overpowered. This is just, this is so undercooked of a game. This is terrible. No, you, you, you have to be willing to look deeper than that and honestly plan better. One of my favorite things about dominant species that doesn't really get talked about a whole lot is that conflict in this game is always a conscious choice. It's not just a mechanism that the game imparts on you. Oh, here, you're going to lose X amount of species. If you want to attack a player, you're making the choice to do so, be it through the competition action or through the choice of taking domination cards. Mm -hmm. You're always making the choice if you want to attack somebody. You could choose to not have it have as big an impact, you know, and and impart as much chaos Mm -hmm. as possible. But regardless, that conflict and that chaos is going to be player dictated. And I think that conflict and being able to choose whether or not the conflict is actually happening be with be within the players themselves and not the game forcing it i think is is an under i think that the i think that the conflict being player controlled is just an under appreciated aspect of dominant species in that the game's just not forcing you to do it you're choosing to do it yeah there's even a spot in with that you have to select with your action pawn for anything to happen. Yeah, you have to. Because if, And if you don't, then nothing happens. nothing happens. However. But if you do, you're going to kill some people. Right. Or, or at least remove elements, which in yep. theory is going to cause species to die. I love the balance between choosing victory points and or choosing a dominance card. And do I score more points mm-hmm. and give somebody else the dominance card? Or do I sacrifice some points to be able to choose the dominance right. card, which is usually going to be the case because the cards are so powerful yeah but it, it that can that can be a really hard decision though because if you have if you're going to guarantee yourself nine points with a c but give someone else the domination card or do i take two points right and give somebody else six yeah mm, it's, it, it's hard it can be depending on where you are and, and again this is where that asymmetry mm-hmm. where your game specifically is being your game, Amanda, versus where my game, Edward, is, those choices aren't always super obvious mm-hmm. or super clear. And what you see as an obvious choice, if you were in that situation, can be completely different mm-hmm. for me in my situation, which that is amazing to yep. me. So we've just listed a whole bunch of stuff we like. What do we not like? I'm going to list things that I'm not going to necessarily say that I don't like, but okay. that... The royal y'all doesn't like? Yes, there you go. 
Constantly having to check for dominance anytime an element disc is placed on a player board or on the tiles themselves is definitely going to be tedious yes. for and fiddly for some folks. It's lots of simple math, but it's lots of math. Mm-hmm. So if you were told there would be no math, they lied. <laughs> so it's simple. It's addition and multiplication. So very simple math. However, there it's really, really often. It happens a lot, and it's pretty much constant throughout the entire mm-hmm. length of the game. It becomes second nature, but some people just aren't going to like it. The chaos can be seen as a benefit to some people, but as a game's detriment to others. It de- it depends on how you approach the game. I think that's fair, but if you're looking at it at a superficial level, then yeah, it's just chaos and there's no mm-hmm. way to control it and this is just a stupid exactly. game. This is terrible. Exactly. However, that's not really what's going on. It's just how far do you want to go into mm-hmm. it, right? How deep do you want to actually care about it? All of the interaction in the game is negative interaction. Now, I'm hurting you to help myself, but still, it's early, it's often, and it's going to be the order of the day. So negative interaction is the mm-hmm. the order. It's just, that's how, I mean, it's an area control worker placement game. There's no, I'm helping you out. No, and if you have a hard time with that, this is not your game. Yep. As we mentioned earlier, there's the pick on the leader syndrome. However, it's usually the wrong player mm-hmm. that you're picking on. Yes, they are leading in victory points now, but you have to look deeper than that. Yep. Who is positioned really well for the massive amount of points that are going to come at the end of the game? Mm-hmm. People, and myself included, can get too focused on the tundra tiles because that is one easy way to get a lot of points. In my experience, it's normally the person that doesn't focus on those that wins, but it's still, it's hard to get out of that mindset of, oh, I'm on five tundra tiles. I'm going to make 25 points at the end of this round, you know, but sometimes you won't. Because people, that, that's an obvious thing to go fighting mm-hmm. up against. And yep. so, therefore, people are like, oh, no, no, yeah. no, no. Why are you hitting me? That's, She's yes. on five tundra tiles exactly. and she has 30 species out there. Exactly. Okay, slight exaggeration, but you get the idea. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. It's low-hanging fruit. And so, I feel like that's why I usually avoid mm-hmm. tundra because so many people go after it because yep. it's obvious points. Mm-hmm. I'll let you guys fight it out amongst yourselves and ignore the man behind the curtain. Let's talk about whining in this game and whining about being picked on. There are a lot of people that are like, oh, it's a pick on the leader. That's it. It sucks to be the leader. Oh, everybody's picking on me. You know what? You can be completely wiped off the map. Literally have zero species left on the board. No dominance. You don't have a single marker on the board. And yet, come back to win. I've been halfway through the game, been wiped off the board and 50 points behind. Come back to smoke people. You just pay attention to the way the game is playing out. You speciate at the right time. You migrate at the right time. You collect, or not collect, but you select the right dominance cards. You manipulate turn order. There are ways to mitigate it. So if you're whining, stop it. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. If you plan poorly, dominance cards are really, really going to hurt. And they're going to put a crimp on your plans. So plan better. Yep. That's on you. It is, however, possible to get hampered by poor element disc drawing. I've seen this happen and you're just 
your SOL yeah. in, in, in some, it's rare that it happens, but it is possible that even though it's before each round, when the element discs are, are uh, drawn, if where you're strong, what elements don't get drawn, you're at a disadvantage, plain yep. and simple. There's just no way to offset that. You just have to make it, deal with you it. You have to make do. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's a legitimate downside. I see that. AP is going to crush the game, as we've talked about. Our games, four to six players, two and a half to three hours, routinely. Mm-hmm. Period. The end. Even with new players. Bottom line, just don't allow for excessive ap And by ap here, I mean analysis paralysis. And if you are that player, be considerate for the other players that are at the table. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. Don't be that person. Last but not least, and this is going to be a point of contention with some of y'all listening, I get that. However, I know some folks enjoy this at lower player counts, but having to play multiple species is just not something that really appeals to me. It's a bolted-on, it feels like to me, a bolted-on fix for what is an area control game. Area control games excel with more players. So for me, this is a four to six player game. And for me, this is a five to six player game. Okay, fair I, enough. I just, I won't go below, I don't like to go below five because the amount of interaction and world building, you know, et cetera, is just, it's unsurpassed at six. So I don't really want to go any lower than six if I have to, but if I have to, then I'll do five. However, counterpoint to that, the more chaos is involved, the higher the player count. Absolutely. You have you have less action pawns. You have more actions that happen around you that you don't have any impact on. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely more chaos chaos as the player count goes up. But it is it, for me four to six is the sweet spot mm-hmm. for this game. There are people out there that love it at two players where where you you're playing multiple species. To me, there's enough going on, and if I'm going to play a game. I want to play that game at its best. Dominant Species, in my opinion, is nowhere near its best at two or three players. I would argue that probably not really at its best at four, but it's still really good, Mm -hmm. I think. So four to six, yes. Two to three, I think I would rather play something else. I would rather play a Three Kingdoms Redux Mm -hmm. at three players, maybe Agricola at two, or Polis at two, or anything else. I'm just not... If we have two or three... Never once in my life have I thought, you know what I want to play? No. Dominant species. So to me, four to six. For me, five to six. What about scalability? Mechanically, the number of action pawns that each player gets and the number of species or Mm -hmm. cubes that Mm -hmm. a player gets adjust based on the number of players. Fewer players, more of each of those. More players, less of each of those. And as far as how it affects actually playing the game, I kind of already talked about it that the more players, there's more chaos, but there's also more competition for the actions themselves. And obviously, playtime is going to go up potentially Mm -hmm. with more players because of the fact that there's potentially more downtime because of more analysis and slowdowns and stuff like that. But other than that, it's just uh, it's just the number of actual things that you get to place on the board. Well, and even at lower player counts, I would think, I mean, I haven't played them, but I would think that the game might even be longer because if people don't go to the domination area, 
to because that the I guess we haven't even really talked about that. That's a good point. That the domination cards are the timer of the game. Mm-hmm. So if people aren't taking domination actions, the game can drag. Yeah. However, in a five and six player game, those are going to be filled yep. almost every turn. They should be at least. And so therefore, you know, you're looking at five six rounds. Game's over. But I mean, I could see a two or three player game going on and on and on and on. Potentially, and on. yeah. That that's a fair fair point. So you mentioned earlier about reading some comments from BGG. You would like to share some with the yeah, class. I, I really enjoy this. And when we did our survey, there, there were two people that responded that really don't like this aspect. So fast forward here for you two. Everyone else, I enjoy this. So that's why I do it. I, I try and pick the highs and the lows, right? And mix them up. So right. here we go. This game has one of the most unintuitive rule sets I've ever come across. A huge portion of the game is collectively trying to determine who has dominance in each region and making sure nothing is being done incorrectly. Very few games make me feel more like an accountant at work during tax season. I'm befuddled at how this could be rated so high. Thousands of games exist that provide the same amount of depth, but with more intuitive rules and less of them. I disagree, but there it is. Brilliant area control game with a theme that well fits the mechanics. Ignore naysayers that say the game is difficult to understand. It's very simple. What unfolds is a war of the species, each with their own unique strengths in desperate and tight competition for ever dwindling resources. Each action counts with tremendous effect. Applying a killer strategy, though, is not that easy, but it can be very enjoyable if accomplished. The game is brutal and punishes mistakes quickly, which again fits the theme perfectly. The third reprint edition has a wonderful map board and tiles, significantly improved over previous editions. If I could only take a few games to a desert island, this would be one of them. Sadly, I think that this game is just a little too layered and nasty for my taste. Alright, fair enough. What a delightfully vicious game! This is one of the most amazing Euros I've ever played, albeit it can be mentally exhausting. A few hours of ultra brain-burning decisions and constant rivalry between you and your opponents. Fantastic combination of worker placement, area control and majority, and special card powers. It's thematic, deep, rewarding, and extremely interactive. And despite its complexity, it's one of the most elegant heavy games I've ever seen. That was pretty good. That's high praise right there. There was a big freeze. All my things died. I fell asleep. (laughs) Okay, not for them. There are a few games that can keep me at a table for more than four hours. Oof. I'm sorry. More than four. Eek. Players must strike a delicate balance between adapting their animals, tailoring the board state, and populating select tiles. The domination cards initially appear too swingy, but their power is gradually revealed to be a necessary check to a range of possible strategies. The physical enormity of the game matches its complexity and depth. This is stupid. If I really think about every possibility, my turn would be 20 minutes or more. We broke it off after four rounds, and the game's ugly too. Wow, somebody kicked their dog. Jeez. Mm Woke up on the wrong side of the bed. They had wrong cereal, like the milk was sour. The game materials quote Charles Darwin. It is not the species, dare I say gamer, with the greatest strength or the most intelligence that survives. It's the one best able to adapt. So yeah, that's the bloody game. 
And yes, you have to adapt. And guess what? The game gives you the tools to do it. Problem is, you have to see deep into the game to discover them all. So to those complaining about the randomness or the luck factor, I say, learn how to play the game better. I also say, enjoy the ride. It's a roller coaster. Nice. So I think that's a pretty good that's gamut. That's a good, good group. Good, good range there to yeah. give folks an idea. All right, so he really, really prepared for this close, so I'm I'm going to do my summary first. Oh, I don't think I did that much, but okay, sure, I go already for it. heard about it before oh, we... Oh, whatever. Dominant Species is one of the first really hard games that I played when we started this hobby. Um, I remember that there was five or six of us in the game, and all I remember is me, you, an alpha gamer, and a girl that was hating her life for the entire game because she normally likes lighter fare and doesn't really like getting, you know, killed. It wasn't the best experience because of the players. Edward took to the game immediately, loved it, and wanted to play it more and more. I, on the other hand, just couldn't let go of the bad taste in my mouth I had from the first play. It didn't help that I was still quite concerned with people being upset at me if I hurt their game position, and vice versa. However, once I got over myself and decided to play the game, I fell in love. I really did. Now, I'm not going to lie and say the little monkeys we received in our copy, you know, didn't help, or whatever, but... Dominant Species will always have a couple of good things going for it. It's an awesome game, and it was the first game that made Edward want to get in front of a camera. So, in a way, Dominant Species brought on heavy cardboard. So, thank you, Chad Jensen. And I have to follow that, man? (laughs) In a world of perceived chaos, Dominant Species allows for a precarious sliver of clarity amongst that chaos. Yet, if you plan poorly or have poor foresight, the inexorable pressure that the game and your opponents imparts on you will crush you. But shouldn't you be punished for being the grasshopper who spends the summer frivolously while the industrious ant worked all summer to store up food? (laughs) Winter is coming, after all, so buckle up and enjoy the ride. The War of the Species is at hand. Let's hear the ratings, sir. All right, so one to six, one, burn it with fire, six, Hall of Fame. And really all you need to know about is, you know, a range in between mm-hmm. that for two through five. Yes. For me, it's one of my top 10, maybe top five games of all time. It's a Hall of Fame game for yeah. me. It's an easy six. There's no, absolute no thinking about yeah. this. There are very few games that I have played more than a couple dozen times. I think Crokinole, The Climbers, and Dominant Species are the only three that I can actually say that about. If I'm going to play a game that much, Damn Skippy, it's in my Hall of Fame. Yeah. It's an easy six. There's no way that this game could be anything but a six. So, it's for me, a six, too. So, that's Dominant Species. So, it's good to be back onto the horse, back to feeling better, even though I'm still coughing here and there. Uh, Again, thank you, everybody listening. Yes. uh, and, And who watches us on YouTube. Thanks for the support as well as a big thank you for the patience that mm-hmm. you guys have shown and not been impatient at the lack of content due to my sickness. So yes. seriously, really appreciate that, guys. Thank you very much. And man, it feels good to be back in it this. Does. I have missed this. It's funny how, yes, it's a job, but man, it's fun. Yeah. I really, really, it, it's good to be back. So yes. yeah, good timing with the patron drive starting up. You guys will hear about more about that next week. Mm-hmm. And other than that, You got anything else? I don't think so. All right. So on behalf of myself, Amanda and Asher, we'll catch you all next week. Bye, everybody. Later.
And that video is specifically why we do live streams. <laughs> Just FYI.